1: Hi, everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing okay.
0: It's rainy. Oh, it's beautiful you know, here. I know. I'm jealous. I see the sun streaming in the window. And yeah. And I yeah. am
1: coming to you from South Carolina, yay! where we live now. So we got moved. It's so exciting. It went so well, like everything went without a hitch. We haven't had the closing for the house yet that we sold, but that's in a week from today. And you know, I don't see any—you don't see anything holding that up. Well, no. I mean, we've had all the the things we needed to have. She's, in, you know, the new homeowner. She and her husband are best friends to people next door. They've brought over their contractor, their painter, their landscape guy. I mean, there seems like it's a go. It's a go. So that's really exciting. Everything's just falling into place, and. I did a really good job deciding what to bring and what not to bring. Yeah. I was able to put it all away. Great. With breathing room. I don't feel crammed in anywhere. I did have too many shoes. Just like my boots didn't quite fit. And I had these two pairs of Ugg sweater boots. Have you seen uh-huh. you know, the sweatery ones? Mm-hmm. And here at my house with the cats, it looks like cat hair boots. Because <laughs> of the way that it <laughs> So I was like, I'm just going to throw these in the garbage. I had a brown pair and a black pair, but they were always so fuzzy and they looked awful. Like I only could look around the house. Yeah. So I threw them away and then my boots fit. Perfect. I know. So anyway, it just feels good to have less stuff, just what I need and everything is right where I want it. And our kitchen is little. And everything's at my fingertips. I'm loving it.
0: And you have a real office instead of a tiny yes, little this podcast is the closet best I've ever had.
1: My <laughs> podcast studio was little. It was better than when I had to share the laundry room, cat room, Chad's office <laughs> <laughs> at my other house. But now I have. I mean, like I'm up here on the third floor in a room that is just for me, and That's no one awesome. else even needs to come up here ever. And so I've got the door closed, and I can see the palm trees out my my window and. It's just, it's beautiful. It's one of the, you know, I got everything all set up and I love it. Good. I'm so happy for you. Well, thank you. Cannot wait
0: to come out and
1: check it out myself. I know. You've got to come visit anytime we're ready. Awesome. Let me know when you're ready. I'm ready right now. Oh, okay. No, but I'm not (laughs) kidding. All right. (laughs) Literally, I'm ready right now. (laughs) We might
0: be recording next week's episode, both from South Carolina. That would be fine with me. Well, this week we have a good news story from Juline in Spokane, Washington. She said, I went to dinner with my adult son Ben at a Mexican restaurant a few weeks ago. The next day, I realized my mail key had fallen off my Carabiner key holder. I called the restaurant early that next evening, and the gal that answered said she did not see my key in the lost and found, but that she would ask around. She asked me to call back later that evening. I also told her that there was a little pink end that snapped into another pink end on the key ring to identify it. She called me back in less than an hour and said the busboy had found my key in the parking lot and that he had thrown it in the dumpster. So she looked in the dumpster and moved around some garbage and she found it. She got it out of the dumpster for me and her name was Jenny. I couldn't believe it. Is that going above and beyond or what? I was so grateful. My husband and I have decided to frequent that restaurant more often. I was so touched and inspired by Jenny for going the extra mile for people. That really
1: is amazing because I'd be like... She went in the dumpster for her. I'd be like, I'm sorry, your key is gone forever. (laughs) No, I probably would have looked for it. I think I would have. What would you have done? Yeah, I
0: wish she would have shared the Mexican restaurant's name. Yeah. But I feel like I would have looked for it. I would have been like, I would have have done it it. because, you know, me, I lose everything. And I'm always in a panic when I lose it. So, but you always find it. I do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, it's true. We'll be together and she'll be like, I can't find my sunglasses. I think I'm like, they'll turn up. (laughs)
0: Sunglasses, mascara, flip Uh flops. All of it. (laughs)
1: So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at community.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service, give a shout out to a special someone in your life, tell us an amazing story, or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. So before we get to the life lesson of the week, I want to tell you about Beauty Counter. So as I've shared before, when I wrote Cleanish, I realized so much of what we thought and took for granted about safety and all of our products, we just really can't take it for granted. So I learned how much it mattered what I use on my body. Oh, by the way, Sherry, Chad and I were buying some things the other day and we were at Walmart. (laughs) And there was like, he tried to buy this super dirty dishwashing liquid that he wanted to use. He's like, well, I'm just going to use it. We were able to figure it out together, and I got him to buy something different. Oh, good. It was, it was hard. But we had to do a lot of label reading, which I don't like to do. So <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. why I love beauty Counter so much, because I don't have to wander around the store and read the labels and try to figure things out, because beauty counter has done all the work for me. Every product that we buy from them is safe for the environment they have the never list which is always evolving and it's based on the latest research and so they make sure that none of their products have items in them that are from the never list that's really important but the best part is that they work you know these are the best products i've ever used and you know they seem to last for a, a really long
0: time i feel like they do My skincare set took over a year for me to use it up. Yeah. So, So,
1: you know, if you've been on the fence, you know they're they're good products. They're a good value because of how long that they last. So if you're interested in trying Beauty Counter because you really want to make a difference in, you know, your health because, you know, what you put on your body goes into your body, then go to beautycounter.com slash Jen Stevens to shop with me and check out what Beauty Counter has to offer.
0: And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are joined by a guest that Jen and I know from the Delay Don't Deny online community. Jenny lives in Nebraska and used to be a practicing occupational therapist. But a while back, she decided to make a career change. She shared with us that she had started training as a death doula. And prior to that conversation, Jen and I had never heard of such a thing. So I am just as curious as you are as to what her job entails and how she helps individuals and families. And so she agreed to join us today to go over what a death doula does, and how she can help you. Welcome, Jenny. Hi.
1: Thanks for having me. Well, it's so glad to see you and connect with you again. It's been a while since we've talked, but it's great to see you, and I can't wait to hear about, about what you're doing. But before we get into your background and your story, what is the lesson you hope to share with our listeners today? I
2: hope that I can encourage people to talk more about death. That's huge. Because it happens to every one
1: of us. Yeah, strangely. We all go out of this life. We come into life, we go out of the life.
2: We do. I've always found it puzzling that the only activity that we all share, we were all born, so that's over, but the only activity we have coming up that we're all guaranteed to do is die, and we don't talk about it. Some people can't even say the word. Mm Mm-hmm. A couple of months ago,
0: we had a guest on the show who's actually a friend of mine, and she lost her son in a tragic accident when he was five. And she talked about, you know, that loss and that grief and how other people can make it more uncomfortable because they don't know how to talk about it or they don't talk about it. So then it's the elephant in the room.
2: Right. Yeah, that is so incredibly true. And you mentioned that. I'm an occupational therapist. And so I really learned how to sit with trauma and grief in a trauma center. What would happen is that a traumatic event, people don't just end up in a trauma center. Something terrible has happened to you, whether it's an accident or an illness, it's not a place people want to be. And so working there as an occupational therapist I worked primarily holidays and weekends, and there were times where I would be the only occupational therapist on staff for the entire weekend, and someone would come in with a drastically different life than they knew yesterday. And I would be in the room, and without fail, some well-meaning person would come into the room and say, oh my gosh, Bob, you are so lucky to be alive. And it would just land on the floor like a rotten apple because- Bob's not feeling super lucky at the moment. Humans are funny when something's said that doesn't land with us. We either laugh about it, we ignore it. I had a great, unique opportunity to be able to sit with people and say, oh, wow, when that was said, it didn't feel true to me. How does it feel to you? And ask the person if they could speak to me or say, you know, I just don't sense that you're feeling lucky right now. Personally, I think what you're going through sucks. Just acknowledging what's happening invites so much more honest conversation you know, so they don't have to act like they're feeling lucky. They don't have to act like they're getting over things quickly. They could just say what was honestly on their heart and on their mind. Right.
0: I think they do it from a place of they're uncomfortable with the situation and they don't want to go down that dark hole. It's their way of trying to elevate that person out of the hole. Right. <laughs> but, but it doesn't it work. I mean, if you've lost your does. leg in a traumatic injury, <laughs> you're in you're the hole. You're so lucky to be
1: alive. I mean, even if yeah. it's
2: true. I mean,
1: I, you know, it, yeah. it's
2: lucky to, you be, to be alive, but, but you don't want to hear know. that. No, you don't want to hear that. Or, you know, it's possible that someone you love died in the accident that caused your injury. Oh, so yeah. being told got that, that you're guilt. lucky to be alive really lands terribly. Oh, that's even worse. And right. you know, humans, we do a lot where we want to say the right thing. We take two approaches. We either say something canned, like you're so lucky to be alive, or we don't say anything. So people either get this impersonal hallmark greeting from us or they get silence. And what people need is neither of those things. People need to just know that you're present. So to say, gosh, I don't have anything cool to say to you right now, but I'm here. You know, that is exactly what Allie
0: said when she lost her son. That is exactly what she said. She said, you just need somebody to call you and say, hey, I I know what happened. And I'm, you know, I'm so sorry.
2: And if you want to talk, I'm here. Yeah. And that's such a good piece of advice because... When death and dying comes about, death, dying and grief, which are the three things that I find myself immersed in now, humans have this fear that if you bring those things up, you're going to remind the person. like You're going to remind someone that their child died, or you're going to remind someone that they're traumatically or terminally ill, or you're going to remind someone that their leg was tragically amputated. We don't need to remind people they know that. When we're in the room ignoring the elephant, It just makes that person feel unloved, uncared for, where if we just say, oh, wow, there's a giant elephant in this room. Would you like help getting rid of it? (laughs) What can I do? You know, should we get it a costume? Should we pick up its poop? Should we try to get it out of here? Like, how can I help is a very different presentation than saying, oh, well, you know, heaven just needed another angel, which That statement is so well meaning, but I don't know a single parent who would find that helpful if their child had died. Well meaning and helpful are two very different things. And I think as humans, we owe each other the thought and the time to make our greetings personalized when we can. So, my challenge to people a lot is don't just automatically say, I'm so sorry for your loss, because it could be that this person doesn't see this as a loss it could be that this person isn't sorry. And saying sorry, you're taking responsibility for something that isn't yours to take responsibility for. So again, we as a society have said, oh, I'm sorry for your loss is what you should say to someone when there's been a death. It's kind of like saying, you know, how are you today? Fine. It's not personal. It's lazy. Like if you really want to say something helpful, maybe just say you don't know what to say or say, I heard so-and-so died. How are you? You know,
0: you said something a second ago when my grandfather died from Alzheimer's and he'd been suffering for probably about six or seven years, really, when he passed away. I said to my dad, you know, well, I'm sorry you lost your dad. And I know this is really hard. And he said, I lost my dad years ago. It was time for him to go. And that stuck with me. I was like, wow, he's already processed this.
1: And- he was ready. That's very true. Same with when I lost my grandmother that I was very, very close to growing up. But we lost her years before she actually died. She wasn't herself. She didn't know me. She didn't know really who she was. It was actually when, when you're with a family member, like like your dad was, was like it was time. You know, she would not have wanted to live. If she had known, if she'd been aware, she wouldn't have wanted to live that way.
0: In that case, death is a blessing,
1: I don't think most people
2: think of death as a blessing, but it can be. It can be. I mean, I will tell you that a lot of my clients are in a situation where death is this beautiful end to a life well lived. Because, again, we don't want to watch people suffer. We don't want to watch people hurt. That end doesn't feel like a loss. It doesn't feel traumatic. Do you miss the person? Of course. Are you grieving? Probably. But again, if friends can come in and say something that's more of an open-ended question, then I think that's more helpful to the people experiencing whatever they're experiencing. But the problem with that is, if you ask an open-ended question, you have to be willing to have the conversation that comes next. And many of us aren't willing to do that because We are uncomfortable with death. We are uncomfortable with grief. So we want to kind of tap the person grieving, but we don't want to get too close. We don't, because then we might have to think about how this would affect us. And that gets scary and uncomfortable. You know, you have to be willing to get a little messy with this as you dive in. Right.
0: Well, and, you know, we go to school and we learn how to be polite in society and, you know, how to speak respectfully to your coworkers and your boss and superiors, right? But nobody teaches you really how to have hard conversations. So if you walk up to a person who's grieving and you say, how are you feeling, which would be a great question to ask somebody, are
2: you prepared to sit with their answers and
0: talk through that with them?
2: Yeah, and that's exactly right. And that's exactly what I do. I'm sure there's people wondering, you know, what's a death doula?
1: Yes, I was wondering that.
2: All right. Well, I'm a death doula. So here's your first voice. Here's your first introduction for many of you to what a death doula is. But I have always been very curious about death, even as a child. And it was what we talked about a little bit ago. It's the only thing we're all guaranteed to do that's the same, but we don't talk about it. And when we don't talk about things... In our society, things we don't talk about are scary. Things we don't talk about are taboo. Things we don't talk about are bad, dirty, you know, unsavory. No wonder so many of us are terrified about the end of our life because we haven't talked about it. A lot of people are familiar with birth doulas, it's become a lot more common. So, birth doulas have been around since people started giving birth, and it's a lovely thing. A doula in a birth setting is a servant. They are there to serve the needs of that mother. They're not worried about the baby necessarily. They're not worried about the medical side of things. They are there to cheer on and comfort and nurture that mother. And so their role is like pretty much at the start of labor, they show up. When the baby shows up, their role is over. Their role was to serve that woman during birth. You just taught me something. Oh.
0: I thought a birth doula and a midwife were pretty much the same thing. Oh,
2: yeah. No, not, no. So a
0: a birth doula is like a
2: a, a birth coach sort of. Yes. Okay. Absolutely.
1: Helper. It's like a helper.
2: Exactly. Yep. You are tending to the mother. You are tending to the person giving birth. And then there are postpartum doulas. You hear this word now where it's someone who will go and serve the family of a newborn. So this is someone who can be present overnight so that if mom and dad need to get some sleep, that postpartum doula can tend to the newborn or tend to other things that need to be going on. So again, it's a role of service. Being a death doula is very very similar except I'm on the other end of a lifespan.
0: You're on the exit, not the entrance.
1: Exactly. I'm so on are the you exit. there to help the the person who's dying? or
2: the family, or both? Both. So a death doula, at its essence, is someone who would be present when someone is dying. That can look like sitting bedside vigil. That can look like being outside the door if the person is uncomfortable with someone they don't know being in the room. That can be things like, you know, doing... Songs or prayers or memorializing that person as they're dying, helping the family to understand the stages of death, because there are things our body does as it dies. Dying is an active process and it can feel scary, especially if you don't have any medical training. You know, people's breathing changes, people's skin color can change, the way people are in and out of consciousness can change. So to be there to say this is normal, we're in a stage where this person is actively dying and just be there as a, to tend to and serve the client and their family. Now, there are death doulas who only show up similar to a birth doula when dying is imminent. They tend to that person during those hours or days and then they leave. I like to work with families on coaching long before death is imminent. So the end of life coaching part of my practice is working with people where they don't have a terminal diagnosis. They aren't imminently dying. And instead, we look at their life the way that they would work with a financial planner to set up their portfolio for their loved ones after they're gone or they would work with an estate attorney to set up their estate planning and their, you know, all their documents so that You know, it's clear who's getting what after that person dies. Similar to that, I work with people to say, okay, let's think about all of the situations surrounding your death and how can we plan for it? My first question is always, where do you want to die? Now, do people always get to follow the plan? No, that's the reality of of our life. Some people die traumatically, tragically, unexpectedly, but that's not how most people die. Most people die in an kind of an expected way. So to be able to say, if you get to choose, where do you want to die? And At just home to let versus in the hospital say, versus, in, yes, our hospice.
1: So really, just like someone would make a birth plan before they go to the hospital. But once you get there, things go wacky. You don't get to always follow your birth plan. The same with a death plan. You say, I would like to die at home or I want to be at the hospital or I would like my wife to be there or I do not want things like that. Then you just have to
2: be flexible
1: and able to roll with whatever the situation brings you.
2: Yeah, all of those things. So, you know, it can be something like, do you want to be surrounded by photos? Do you want to be surrounded by people? Are there people you don't want in the room? That's
1: important because right? there, there might be. You're like, it, there do, might not let, be. You know. do not
2: let him in here no matter what. Fine. <laughs> Uncle weirdo
1: <laughs> stays outside.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm like, I'll be your death room bouncer. I can do that. Yeah. That's yeah. fine. And things like, what music do you like? I work with clients and help them create like an end of life playlist. Like there would be nothing worse to me than having music I didn't like playing. Like I'd be like, no, I am not leaving until someone fixes that. (laughs) For real. Change the channel. Change it. Or, you know, are there scents you really enjoy or don't? Are there flowers you love or don't? Touch even I could see. Yeah. Or, you know, it's interesting when you work with someone and say, where do you want to die? And you get into those women that have been the servants to their families their whole life. And they'll say, Oh, just ask the family. Like, no you get to choose. Oh, well, well, I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. So just wherever they want me to be. No, you get to choose.
1: I have to tell you, I was thinking yeah. that same thing. I'd be like, well, it shouldn't be at home because they couldn't handle that.
2: Okay. right. I'm so glad you said
1: that. That's because my first I thought. That. was like, they couldn't handle if I died here. So take me somewhere
2: else. Right. And I hear that all the time. And I'm like, who says they can't handle it? Have you actually talked to them about that? No, but I know them so well, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. See, But that's where I get to come in and say, guess what? They don't mind. They can handle it. So I, let me I, ask you a
0: question. Do, do you talk to them? Okay, so if you're making a death plan in advance and they have an idea of how they want to die You know what they will or will not allow, or whatever. Does like living wills and like durable power of attorneys and that come into play as well? Yeah. Okay. You talk people through that and explain all of that.
2: I do not do any of the legal part. Right. Right. I work in collaboration with, so I can work in collaboration with like their legal team. What we want to make sure so let's say someone has hired me and I am on call to be at bedside. If something happens, we need to make sure that the person who is their healthcare power of attorney isn't going to exclude me from the room. It's one of those things that there has to be kind of a team approach to this, that everyone needs to be on the same page. So, this is why, as important as documents are, and I create an end of life plan for my clients that is a living document. When things change, we can update it, you know just like you would update your financial plan when you win the lottery. And just like you're going to update your estate plan when when more grandbabies are born. This is a living document that we can change at any time. And it's important that we revisit it. It's important that we know that you know there's not someone named as your primary person who's not in your life anymore. So I don't do the legal part of it, but I often will work with the team that's doing that to make sure that if someone wants me president, end of life, that that's written into their advance directive, you know, so those documents would kind of dovetail so that everyone was on the same page.
0: Now, is this something that you, if a person is in their end stage of life, they're in a hospital or they're in a long-term care facility or something, do you communicate this with their health team so that their health team knows as well
2: what their plans are? Yes. So I become part of their end of life team. So if someone's in hospice or if someone's in the hospital, I communicate with their team just to let them know I've been hired by the family to serve in this capacity. And it's usually not a problem. There's interesting things that happen as people start the process of dying in that sometimes there's a long lost relative that shows up and wants to drive the bus. And sometimes there's you know, someone who hasn't been very vocal in the whole process who suddenly gets very vocal or a family might be very supportive of the plan that their loved one has in place. But when dying actually starts to happen, they panic. Like, I'm not ready. It's not time. And so, to have you know, the documents are important, and a lot of times those documents can serve as a roadmap where we say, "Okay, wait, remember, there's a plan. Let's look at the plan," and that gives people peace of mind because they don't have to make decisions in an imminent death setting, where like, it feels like just traumatic. on the fly, where they're they they can not mentally focus. that the, the decision's you know, been made, right? This is the decision. Let's look at this together. But, you know, ultimately, my job at that point is to advocate for my client.
0: Right. That's what I was going to ask. That is my job. So if you have brothers and sisters fighting over what's going to happen with mom and one wants to take charge at that point, you step in and you're like, this was not what she wanted. This was her plan. And you try to enforce the plan.
2: Correct. Yeah, correct. And then he the with- enforcer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Family dynamics are hard. Oh, yeah. Very Family much dynamics. So. Are really, really hard, especially, which is why the document is so important. But I want my clients to speak to, I don't want them to just give people copies of their written plan. When I can bring family in to talk about this, that is the ideal situation to be able to say, family, your mom and I have worked together, and we are going to all sit down together and she's going to tell you her plan. Because Then you have time to talk about it. Then people have time to raise objections. People have time to say, How dare you decide that you want to be in control of your own death, which I've heard people say. And then, you know, to be able to have that conversation of like, Okay, wait a minute, why should she not be in charge of this? And be able to talk it all out then. And, you know, sometimes again, it's someone who has never voiced their opinion. There's some learning that might have to happen with this family that, oh, wait, she does have an opinion. She is going to state it. And we are going to do our best together to make sure that in this instance, she gets what she wants and needs. Right.
0: I mean, because death happens to one person, right? The person dying. And people may think like, oh, this is happening to me. But no, grief is happening
2: to you. It's not your death. It's not really about you. And it's funny because when you ask families, would you plan someone else's birth plan? Do you think you have the right to dictate someone else's birth plan? Most people will go, no. And some people will go, gross. (laughs) No, of course not. Like, what a weird question to ask. And so I'll ask that question and then say, so why do you think you have the right to plan her death? Now, do you have a say in it? Sure. Do you want to pick a song that's sung at a funeral? Fine. But ultimately, even that is up to the person who's dying. That was my next
0: question. And part of their death plan is that they're also the funeral plans. Do they plan how they want their funeral or, you know, whatever it is, whatever kind
2: of memorial service they want? That's all planned out in advance. Yep. We talk a lot about what happens after death and This is where families and what the person wants is really important because some people don't want their loved ones to see their dead body naked. And then there's family members who are like, no, I want to wash her after death. And it's like, okay, she still gets to choose whether or not you're the person that does that. Like just because you're willing doesn't mean she wants you to. So to advocate for those types of things too, or to say your mom does not want a funeral. And that's a hard one because funerals really are for the living and not they for the are. dead. That I was thinking that too. You yeah. Know? So to be able to approach it and say, she doesn't want a funeral, but perhaps you could do something else that helps you grieve and still honors her saying that she didn't want this particular thing to happen. You know, there's ways that we can kind of compromise on that, but ultimately I always advocate for what the client is asking for. With just a lot of questions of why would we take this choice away from someone? Why does that make sense? But the afterlife things are really, are really special. And one of the things that I think I would love people to take away from this conversation is that death is not an emergency. When death happens, people tend to want to do something, So we are humans, and when something happens that is outside of our norm, we want to do something. And what people want to do when someone dies, even when it's a planned death at home, is they want to call 911. If you call 911, there's a cascade of things that start to happen that we really don't want to happen. We don't want someone who has a do not resuscitate, do not intubate, wish to die at home to be stormed in upon by a group of EMTs. Well, meaning 911 was called, they're doing their job, but that job is not necessary at this point. Or we have to call the funeral director right this minute. No, you don't have to. You can wait. There is nothing wrong with those moments after someone dies are so sacred and so powerful and you never get them back. For me to be able to say to someone, If you want to crawl in bed with her, crawl in bed with her. If you want to touch her hair, if you want to sing her a song, if you want to hold her hand, if you want to stand in the corner of the room, if that's as close as you can get, that's okay. And to be able to help whatever that family needs at that moment, again, making sure it aligns with the plan of the person who just died. That's
1: really important. Sherry, do we want to get into the questions from the community now? Yeah, Yeah, we can do that. We'll go to
0: this question here. You've covered it a little bit, but maybe not exactly. Joan from Chicago, she said, when my dad came home for his final days, we were also overwhelmed. How much of the deaf doula duties are directed directly at the patient as opposed to helping the family to start grieving? Where would you step in? Somebody's came home from the hospital to
2: spend their final days. Where do you step in and how do you help facilitate that? Yeah, this is a really good question. So I need to clarify that because I'm an occupational therapist, some people assume that I'm going to do occupational therapy duties and death doula duties, and that is not the case. So I put a very firm line, firm boundary in place that the care that I am providing is not medical. So it is not reimbursable by medical insurance, just like your estate attorney would not be reimbursable by medical insurance. So I am there to help with anticipatory grief from the family. I am there to start putting that plan in place that we have worked through. The plan is that they are going to be in this certain room, in this certain bed with these things around them, with this music playing, like All of those things that are in place. And then again, to keep directing the family back to the plan, back to the plan, all while tending to the family's grief. Because grief, if you have five family members present, grief is going to present itself in five different ways. And what happens in a family dynamic is someone sees the way someone else is grieving and thinks, that's not how you do it. Or they'll say, wait, I must be doing this wrong. And I just really sit with families and let them know all of you are going to grieve differently. And I'm here for all of it. However it shows up, I just need you to communicate with me. Even if it's just tapping me and like gasping for help, that's okay. Like I'll meet you where you are. We'll figure it out. Now, can you
0: step into a situation where they don't have a death plan, but perhaps grandpa had a heart attack and they've said, look, we can't do anything more for him. He doesn't have much time left. Take him home and make him comfortable. Like you can step in at that point and still do work without a plan,
2: I guess. Yes. And, okay. you know, is that a perfect situation? No. But if they have an advanced directive, I can look at that and, you know, I can talk to people who are in charge of the situation. Then I have to rely much more on the family. So I'm not able to I don't have direct knowledge of what that person would have wanted. But you can at least help the family
0: facilitate this and, and navigate it a little more easily.
1: Right? Yeah, absolutely. So That and was pretty much what Andrea Smith had asked. Her question was, does a death doula ever work with a family when the person dying is unresponsive or minimally responsive? And so that would be this type of situation.
2: Yep, absolutely. and And that happens. I mean, sometimes... Things happen that, you know, death is imminent and we don't have a plan. We don't have a plan at all. And, you know, it's nice. It always sounds weird to say it's nice to be called in on those occasions because the occasions are tragic, but it's nice to be involved because, again, I can help kind of smooth all the rough edges with the family and to be able to say, I know you've not done this before. How can I help you? What do you need? You know, or, you know, do you see something going on here that your loved one would not have been okay with? Tell me, let's talk through this. Let's, you know, let's find out what should be going on, what should be happening. And, you know, sometimes that's getting called into a hospital situation with a family that does have a plan and the plan is just not working out how they hoped. So we try to make the plan fit as much as possible into the setting that we're in. Right. And we do our best.
0: So we have a lot of questions. People are really unsure of how this works with hospice or how it's different from hospice. Like, do you work together? Like, how is it different? Like, somebody just wants to know, how is a death doula and a hospice care worker different?
2: It really depends on the location where you are. There are hospices who have death doulas on staff. You know, a death doula is not a medical professional. A death doula is there. Similar to a birth doula in service to the dying. You know, a birth doula is in service to the mother giving birth. A death doula is there in service to the dying. So I'm not there to help transfer them to and from the bathroom. I'm not there to administer medication or do anything like that. I'm just there to offer presence, comfort, and support to the client and their family.
0: So more the emotional needs
2: than physical needs. Right. I just become part of the care team. And then a lot of people ask questions about like, well, how does this get paid for? Do I hope that in a perfect world, we eventually understand how valuable these services are and that they're reimbursed through insurance? Yes. Does that happen now? No. So this is a private pay type of situation where, you know, I work with clients usually well in advance. They pick a package that they want to purchase from me and then we do the work, you know, that's... Spelled out in that particular package that they choose.
0: That's important to know. Do you actually go to the funeral home and help them with the funeral planning process? And I can.
1: You yeah, can. That okay. can be part of the package. Yeah. yeah. I yeah sure that was can. a like, very
0: tedious process when my when my brother passed away. Like just with the whole, you know, my parents wanted it one way, his wife wanted it another way. You know, and and I think having a a person who is on the outside, helping to navigate that Mm -hmm.
2: would be so helpful. I get a lot of questions from people that are like, well, how do families handle your presence being there? And it's interesting because I just get looked to as like, okay, we have a disagreement. What do you think? And I'm just able to say, well, this is what we have written down. This is what we had talked about. So it really does help to settle those family disputes that happen. Family disputes. You work as a mediator. Pretty much, much, yeah. yeah. How does someone
1: find a death doula? Well, Google is always your
2: friend. (laughs) So there are organizations in North America and Canada that certify death doulas. Right now, there's not state licensure anywhere, but I think it's coming. So, you know, Googling someone in your area is a great way to just kind of get started. One of the things that's been interesting for me kind of starting all of this work during the Zoom meeting era of our pandemic is that I'm able to serve people all over the world. And it sounds strange to people at first because they're like, well, how are you going to accompany my loved one at death if you can't physically be here at death? Well, I can physically be there a lot of times. You know, there's ways for me to travel, to get to places, to be there. But virtual attendance is surprisingly effective. I mean, now someone has the option to like close the laptop and like boot me (laughs) out of the room, but people have gotten so accustomed to this way of communicating that it doesn't feel foreign or it doesn't feel unusual that someone would be in attendance virtually. That's also an option in that, you know, if, if something I'm saying is speaking to you and you're you want to learn more and you want to work with me, that would totally be an option.
1: Someone else asked, Kathy from Montana, wanted to know how someone would become a
2: death doula. Mm, That's a great question. So when I was looking at this, again, all the Google searches, like how do I do this? How do you become this? And I settled on the organization that I was certified through is called the Conscious Dying Institute, and it's in Colorado. But because of COVID, They opened all of their coursework into an online situation, which is the only way I would have ever been able to attend. I couldn't go to Colorado for weeks and weeks of classes. So through their program, I am certified their program. They call it a sacred passage doula and an end of life coach. So the end of life coaching comes first. It's about a three month certification with weekly coursework, a practicum, and then you can stop there. You can just stop with the end-of-life coaching piece, or you can go on to become what they call a sacred passage doula. I call myself a death doula because I want to normalize that word. I want people to talk about death. I don't want there to be any, any misunderstanding about what I'm there to do as far as you know, which process am, am I there to help with. You're not with. trying
1: to pretty it up or make it sound
2: flowery. No, I just want to say death, dying, dead grief. I, I want to be able to say those words. I think it's important. So that's another three month process. And then they have additional coursework that goes on. So I'm enrolled and going to participate in another certification that will allow me to become a conscious dying educator so I can teach in their programs and I can do group work. And it, it opens up some other opportunities to just be involved in more of these conversations.
0: Okay. So if somebody wanted to find somebody There are other
1: organizations.
0: That's what I was going to ask. If somebody wanted to hire a death doula in their local area, should they ask, you know, where they received their certification?
2: I mean, you want to make sure somebody's got training, right? Yeah, I think it's important to ask where someone was trained and, and what their philosophies are. I get asked a lot. You know, I like the fact that I have an actual certification behind my name, you know, that I've participated in. But ultimately, it's finding someone that you feel comfortable with. So one of the things that I do with clients is that I don't just, you know, if a client emails me and says, I want to hire you as a client, it's not a done deal. I always do like a collaborative interview process where we get to know each other. And then we make a decision together. Is this a good fit? And there's times where I have to say, I don't feel like I'm the doula for you. But here's a list of other people who I think might be a better fit. That feels strange at first, but I'm not doing anyone a service if we don't match up. It's a collaborative interview process where they get to decide if I'm the one and I also get to decide if they're the one.
1: Well, Jenny, this has been a very helpful conversation as we all are going to have to navigate this from both sides, from the grief side and from we will all die side. And, you know, it's got me thinking. (laughs) Good. (laughs) About a lot of things I hadn't thought about before. So, first of all, how can people find you if they're they're like, I like the sound of that Jenny and I have a laptop? And (laughs) how do they find you?
2: And also, any final words? So, I am in the process of building a website and I have made the decision to not rush it out there. So, I'm not going to give you a web address, but if you want to email me, my email right now is flourishcollaborative at gmail.com. My company is called Flourish Collaborative, flourish meaning we can flourish in all stages of life and death, and then collaborative knowing that I can't do all of this work alone. So I collaborate with my families. I collaborate with a lot of other experts, but you can find me there. Feel free to email me there. And I really don't mind if you post my number in show notes. If people want to get a hold of me there, that is how people are contacting me normally. But if I could just leave you with anything at all, it would be that talk about death. I challenge your listeners. I challenge you to get out there and just have one conversation where you go to your person, go to your most special person and ask them, where do you want to die? Or can we talk about death? Because I really want to know what you want and I really want you to know what I want. And to be able to say I know this might feel weird. I know this might feel yucky. I know we might have to step away from this conversation. But to just start having those conversations with the people you love and inviting them to have those conversations with you.
1: That's important. That really is. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for being here today. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we'd like to take a minute
0: to invite you to the Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. There, you can interact with Jen and me in a private online community. You can also connect with other listeners and community members. It's kind of like any social media, really, but it's private. It's just us, no advertisers. Nobody's tracking your usage or data. It's truly a private online community. We also have been hosting monthly Zoom hangouts where we can just connect and talk. Unfortunately, I had an emergency Last week, when we were scheduled to do ours. So, to all of our VIP communities who missed last week, I'm so sorry. I had a pet emergency in my house, but we're going to make that up and we are going to do one every month. It's just fun to hang out and talk, get to know each other a little bit better. And And you've
1: rescheduled it so now I can be there because we talked about it last week that I wasn't going to be able to be there because I was moving. So we rescheduled it. We're having it in two days from today, not the day that <laughs> the episode comes out, but from the day that we're recording. So,
0: and we have a lady who lives in Australia and I finally realized that if I did it at seven o'clock on a Friday night at seven o'clock Saturday morning for her, so she can actually attend. Awesome! She doesn't have work on Saturday morning.
1: Oh so. yeah. And of course that will depend on your time zone, what time it will right. be,
0: but right. So anyway, if you'd like to join us there, we have a lot of fun. We have a barista. (laughs) She loves to do daily posts. There are just funnies, daily funnies, usually about coffee. That's why I've dubbed her the barista. But it's just a fun place to start your day and say hi and check in. And it helps support the podcast. Most importantly, we cannot do this without community support. There, you can choose your monthly membership of $4.99 or $9.99 per month, and you can change that at any point. Choose the option that feels like the right value to you. If you truly get value from the podcast each week, we would really hope that you'd be willing to choose the higher package to help support all the work we do on the podcast and the costs associated with it. You can learn more by going to our website at lifelessonscommunity.com.
1: All right. So now it's time for our listener-led lesson. Today's listener led lesson comes from Lynn. She says, I want to share something with the life lessons community that I learned the hard way. I had a rough week several weeks ago. I popped into a store for a quick pass for a few things I needed for groceries. I had left my window cracked open without even thinking too much of it. When I got home, my garage door opener was not on my visor. I looked everywhere, but yet, I knew that when I left the house, I had my remote, but when I got home, I didn't. I finally realized that a skinny arm was clearly able to reach in and take my remote. At the time, I thought it was just a silly thing that somebody stole it, like maybe they needed a remote and took mine. But several days later, when I was at work, my house was burglarized, TVs and other mobile electronics, some jewelry, and my grandmother's silver. There was no point of entry. When the police walked around my house and found no point of entry, it suddenly dawned on me, my missing garage remote. The scariest part about this is that they followed me home. They took my remote and then followed me home. I suspect they kept an eye on my house for a while. That is how they knew I was gone every day from 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. at my part-time job. The entire experience just makes me grateful that all they wanted were my valuables and not my life. When I told the police officer what I suspected about my missing garage remote, he told me this is quite common. So many people forget that they just attach an entry point to their home on their car visor and leave it where anybody can access it easily, whether through a door that didn't get locked or a broken car window. He advised that you don't keep the remote visible on the outside of the vehicle and to always lock the door between your garage and your house. It might not stop an intruder. But it might at least deter them. If you routinely keep your vehicle parked outside, take your garage remote inside with you, just like you do your keys and wallet. It's one extra step, but it's worth it. Some things insurance just can't replace, and the feeling of being watched and violated will take a long time to shake. Be safe. That's scary, huh? That just gave me like heebie-jeebies. <laughs> yeah, that. You know, it makes me think of when Will's car was stolen. He was a senior in high school and. He had a a role in Peter Pan, and it was like a a production, and they were down by the river. The the theater was down near the the river, the downtown area of Augusta. So he had parked in a riverfront parking lot and gone to rehearsal and then came out. It was like, I don't know, 11.30 p.m., almost midnight, and his car had been stolen. Well, he left the keys in it Oh, and his wallet in it. Oh, gosh. The thing that scared me the most was the people who stole the car had his wallet with and his where he driver's lived. license yep. and his keys with his house key. Oh, gosh. So, anyway, yeah, the policeman said, you'd be surprised how many people's cars get stolen that had the keys in them. So we had a big lesson about that. We got the car back the next day. Some teenagers had taken it and been out joyriding. And the policemen were amazing. They found it like an hour after we were there with them. They were out we were looking for it. They were literally out looking for it, and they found it. The wow. guys were driving it, and they, like, abandoned it except one guy that they they caught, the guy who didn't run as fast. But anyway, yeah. Wow. Garage door openers. Who knew? I wouldn't even think about that. Never. Really. I've never thought of it.
0: So yeah, that really, when I read that,
1: I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. I mean, my car has a button that you push, like you can program it to be a, your car button. Uh huh. Now that sounds like a bad idea if you park out front. Yeah. Well, wow.
0: actually that would be unless you lock your, your door from your garage to your house. So at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. Today's quote comes from Shauna. The quote is, above all, do not lose your desire to walk. Every day, I walk myself into a state of well-being and walk away from illness. I have walked myself into my best thoughts, and I know of no thought so burdensome that one cannot walk away from it. Shauna says, for as long as I can remember, since I was a little girl, really, when I had a bad day or I was so mad I could spit, I would walk. My first real memory of walking when I was told my mom I was running away when I was in first grade and I packed my bag and I walked up and down the street for what felt like hours. I really don't know how long it was, but I wasn't allowed off the street. So my mom says I just paced up and down the street, first angry and stomping and then calmer. And then I finally decided I wanted a snack and I went back home. Through my school days and in college when I was working on papers and had writer's block, I would put on my shoes and take a walk. The answers would always come to me. When I was a young mom and I was tired and frustrated, I would put on my shoes and walk as soon as my husband came home from work. Maybe only 30 minutes, but it was time I needed to turn into my thoughts and soothe my nerves and then I could return home and cook dinner and be the wife and mom my family needed. Even now, my kids are grown, but after a long day at work, I come home and take my dog on a walk. I can't explain why walking is my cure for what ails me, but it is. And I saw this quote and I thought, yes, this resonates with me. All too often, people think the answer to a bad day lies in a glass of wine or venting to a friend, but I challenge you to put on your shoes and go for a walk instead. Maybe it's the quiet motion, the breathing, nature. I'm not really sure. Maybe it's all, but I promise you, you will never feel worse after a walk, only better.
1: That's really true, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You really do feel better after you walk. Yep. I love that. So listeners, thank you for joining us today. You can also join us in the new Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to be a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 a month. Your support ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts leave a review that helps us reach others. And if you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener led lesson or a motivational quote, or if you would like to be our featured guest, email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and listen each week to see if we share your story or tip until next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.